Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed, and I'm joined, as always, by Justin, Michael, and Joseph. And we've got our uh, regular show crew back today. You can catch us online at sknr.net. Movies, games, hardware, travel, pop culture, entertainment, television, and more. Go to Pinal, P-I-N-A-L, central.com, keyword skewed, and you can see our game reviews for the 12 newspapers that carry us. And you can also go for um, our content in various formats. We have the radio segments that I do on BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KSWFM. Put those on the page each week. We just did a nice recap of E3 2021 plans uh, on Friday, and that's up and ready to go. And we also had um, some other interesting things come up, and those were in the latest issue of our magazine, which is available at Barnes & Noble and various outlets, one of the primary ones being um, Aliens Fire Team. So we had a nice preview of that. So since we've had Easter and all sorts of things going on and everyone's been all scattered, this is the first time we've had all four of us back in a couple of weeks. And, of course, it was a week where you had a lot of little bits of news, but you didn't have a massive amount of news. But um, we did have something that sounds very interesting. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is actually breaking news. I had uh, somebody who follows us uh, just posted something on his Facebook account. He apparently is down in Florida watching a movie. And I know he's probably going to get in some serious trouble for this, but he has just posted a clip uh, of a trailer, and he's claiming that the Eternals trailer is playing before his movie. And he's got about 30 seconds of video that he is posting. So I guess that means that we will be seeing that trailer coming online very, very soon, and we can discuss it. For now, what we are going to discuss is a little bit about what's happening in the week. And we have heard rumors that Sony is once again going to remake The Last of Us, which was released on the PS3, remastered for the PS4, and apparently there is a PS5 remaster in the works. So let's just go right down the line. Michael, uh, if this rumor is true, what do you make of it? So I will say that I played Last of Us on PS3 when it first came out. It's a great game. It's fantastic. I'll be honest, I never bothered with the remaster because I, I'm, I'm, I thought, A, I thought the game looked pretty good when it came out on PS3, and the remaster didn't really give me enough incentive to go back and replay it. Um, that being said, another remaster for PS5, uh, particularly if it's not a free upgrade to those who purchased the remaster on the PS4 or on the original, it just doesn't really interest me. I, again, if, for people who haven't played The Last of Us, you know, I felt this way about the remaster on PS4 too. If you hadn't played it, it makes no sense to go back and, and buy it or play it on PS3 if you go buy it used or whatever. Um, you should go with the most up-to-date, visually released one. Um, and there are probably a ton of people that still had never played it on PS3 or PS4. And for those folks, a remaster on PS5 would be the way to play it. Um, the other thing that I, what I, what I, the other thing I don't really like about, um, I, I'm okay with remasters. I like the idea of visual fidelity. I prefer when they do it as a free 
a content upgrade or if they release it at a really discounted price. Let's say for Last of Us, since it's been out for whew, what, 10 years, maybe a little bit more at this point, um, if they released it at like a $19.99 price point or, or, or $29.99 price point for the remastered edition for people who haven't played it yet, then yeah, I think that might be a, a good incentive to go go buy it. I mean, for me personally, uh, at, at a likely uh, $69.99 price point for the remastered, uh, unless again, unless you've never played the game and it's some, one that you don't want to play on PS4 uh, or you, you know, and again, I would, I would say if you're going to pay, you know, fifty nine ninety nine or sixty nine ninety nine for a PS5 remaster, I would pay the twenty bucks you can get it for, or get it for free if you download. I think they released the remaster for PS4 as part of uh, um, the Plus membership at one point uh, for free. I, I would say you would go, I would go that route. Like I said, there's just not enough, uh, unless they're releasing a bunch of new content, which I doubt. If it's tr- truly just a remaster, unless there's additional content. Um, to justify a, a repurchase, I for me personally, that's just a hard pass right now. Okay, and uh, Joseph, your take, please. Nope, and he dropped. Okay, Justin, your take then. Yeah, I'm going to be in complete agreement here. Um, I was a huge fan of the first Last of Us. I think it's obviously a fantastic game. You know, I think most people agree agree there. Um, very well done. But a part of me sort of seems to sort of... I, I kind of think this is similar to how Capcom treated Resident Evil 4. <laughs> Resident Evil 4, one of my favorite games of all time. But um, it's obvious that Capcom sort of knew that it was... It was um, a, a golden gem because they kept re-releasing it over and over and over again on every platform they possibly could. Um, and, you know, maybe it's not quite to that extent yet, but, um, you know, if you really look at, like, the the remakes or remasters that are, you know, generating the most buzz these days, it's it's for older games. We're, we're not quite to the, to the era where a game like Last of Us really, like, warrants a a complete remake or, you know, um, you know, a couple of remasters, like, um, even the one for the PS4. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a little bit warranted because the, the, when last of us came out on PS3, it really did push the PS3 pretty far. And, you know, it, it, it made sense to kind of re-release it, you know, um, up the visuals a little bit, make sure it was running at a higher frame rate. Um, that way it was just like a very smooth experience. Uh, so that was warranted, but even then, you know, it, it still, it still didn't generate as much buzz as say, like, you know, oh, we're gonna take this game that's like twenty years old and we're basically going to, um, you know, put a, a new coat of paint on it and re-release it. Um, we're just not quite to the to that era yet where, you know, it really is warranted to basically remaster, put a lot of a lot of effort into into Last of Us. Um, you know, the PS3 version, even today, looks re- looks really good. It, it still holds up really well. So, you know, I, I think this is a little too far. Um, I, I'm, I'll have to kind of wait and see. I mean, if it's if it's extremely impressive, like let's say they're uh, essentially remaking the game in um, the uh, in the engine of Last of Us 2, then sure, you know, I, that would be pretty impressive. Um, but again. The, the, the original game is still holds up really well so and it's really not that old uh so even then it, it would i think it does undermine just the length of time that it that the first one came out 
sort of undermines this project a little bit. I heard some rumors that supposedly this project was more like a remake. Um, and, and I don't know how true this is, but supposedly it was being worked on by a different studio and it's been sort of brought over to Naughty Dog. Um, and this is more like a remake and not, not just a remaster. Um, which, yeah, if that's the case, still, that, that's, that's cool. Uh, Last of Us is great, you know, and, and if they were remaking it in a brand new engine like Last of Us 2, um, yeah, I would definitely be open to playing it, but, but still, I, I think more time. They should have waited a little bit longer. Um, there, there's just a lot of older games that haven't, uh, gotten any love, um, in that regard that I, I think are just better choices, frankly. Um, you know, and you, you kind of see this with a lot of games that are sort of causing a lot of buzz right now, uh, for remakes. It's, it's usually, uh, much older games, games that are around 20 or 20 or years or more old. Um, those are the ones that are kind of the most well-received. Yeah, and that definitely makes you wonder with a lot of this stuff because it's very unusual uh, to see remaster after remaster coming out, you know, spanning a couple of generations. I'm kind of of the old world on a lot of these remasters because my attitude is that unless there was a glaring issue like, okay, if people are still playing it and you want to touch it up to make the multiplayer easier or something like that, great. But I do believe that resources would be better suited creating new content than to constantly polishing up old one. A prime example is Bulletstorm. I was very happy when People Can Fly uh, announced that they were going to be making a new um, version of the game because I had hoped that it would spur interest in doing a sequel. And my take is, after all these years, I would much rather have a Bulletstorm 2 than a repurposed version of the original with, oh, hey, we're throwing Duke Nukem in the middle of it this time. And that just seems to be, sadly, the way everything is going. I mean, we've got all these remasters on the books, and it's like, you know, i just rather it push to new content that being said they tend to do very well so i could understand for studios it's probably a very good business decision to say people like the original um, i'm sure they do some focus testing to say yes people would be interested in this being done my take on it is i played the original version of the game i don't think there's anything glaring about it that i need a uh, significant graphical update and frame rate to change my experience of the game. The game was designed for the technology of the time. It was more than adequate. It was groundbreaking. And, you know, let's move on. But that's I blame just Be- me. I blame Bethesda. How so? With With Skyrim coming out on every system known to man since its launch and people buying it. And so it's that's why companies know that these are going to sell, and that's why I think that we see more and more remasters these days because we may not see the value in it. Like I played The Last of Us once, and I don't really want to go back to it because I I got the story out of it and I got what I needed. And unless they're changing something, there's no reason for me for a remaster. Like, but then again. You also think about it. How many times do you go back and rewatch some movies? And like, I know there's movies I've watched hundreds of times just over the years because it was on. (laughs) 
It's a little right, bit different with games. Yeah. They're not going back and redoing them. I mean, outside of George True. Lucas and a little bit with E.T. and various things, it's not like they're going back. And I mean, they remake the movies, but the rule of thumb is usually about 20 years before they go back and they try to redo a film or something like that. That's With a yeah, video I, game, if we're going five to ten years, it's kind of like, eh. Yeah, and but I'll be honest. Also, I, I'm yeah. sorry, just I was going to say real quick. Um, and I'll be honest. For me, the time commitment, right? I mean, I guess yeah. if if I only if I was let's say I I only had five games or ten games or whatever, and the new one was coming out that I loved so much, and I that's all I wanted to do, I would be great with that. My thing is I can't even keep up with the backlog that I have. So <laughs> that's true. Yeah. If I could and add the just... other thing too is with this whole world situation, who knows how many companies are sitting there saying, okay, in order to finance this next AAA title. We're going to have to put two or three remakes out because, you know, we're, for whatever reason, you don't know the policies. Maybe they're obligated to the shareholders to release so many titles per year. And they're sitting there going, yeah, we can only make one, maybe two of these AAA titles, but we have to put four titles out. Hey, let's go remaster these other two because at least the story's already there. The basic gameplay's there. You're just essentially reworking the engine and cranking it out and then the money from that you also can save on advertising because let's be honest uh you already the audience already knows what it is it's not like you have to re-educate everybody about it you have to just simply say this is it it's coming out and go from there and count on hardcore fans to carry it forward so it will be interesting now one thing we wanted to uh switch gears on before we get back to gaming is the changing face of movie theaters we've seen godzilla versus kong bring in the best box office of the pandemic nobody has done very well uh waiting on the word for voyagers and most people believe that come this summer we're going to see increased box office well apparently paramount has decided that they are going to be uh, pushing back several things. Top Gun Maverick, which had been already delayed from last year, has been pushed back another four months from a summer release date to, to November of 2019, which in turn caused Mission Impossible to be bumped up all the way to next summer, which in turn caused Mission Impossible 8 to get pushed back a year. However, uh, it's not all doom and gloom because Snake Eyes, the G.I. Joe spinoff, is moving up three months to a July date. And while Dungeons & Dragons is being pushed almost a full year, there has been an untitled Star Trek movie that is re has been announced and scheduled for June of 2023. And this is uh, really caused a little bit of a shakeup because Universal Pictures has decided, fine, the final in the series, The Forever Purge, is going to take Top Gun's old slot on July 2nd. So we'll go backwards this time. We'll start with Joseph. What do you make of all these changing dates? Um, I think that the studios are kind of finally starting to realize, at least with some of the movies that are being pushed back, that, that this pandemic hit harder than they thought it would um, in terms of all that. Like, they were holding off on hope and being able to keep that stuff. But um, honestly, I'd rather see the pushback dates and see a better product put out um 
in terms of some of the push-ups, like I didn't even know there was a Snake Eyes spinoff, to be honest. <laughs> uh, that's that's news to me today, um, and so I need to go look that up later this afternoon. But um, I don't know. It, it, to me, uh, it's almost business as usual. Like they're trying to get back to that structure because it's nothing unusual to hear about date changes. Maybe not so many at a time, but I think it's it's with the vaccine distribution going wider and people starting to open up more they're starting to get back to a regular schedule and can get back on track. And I think this is just the first steps we're going to see towards that. Yep. And Justin, your take, please. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that one of the things that we're going to see is um, because there's such a backlog of movies that got pushed back that were supposed to release last year. Um, it's just, it's going to be like wild West for a while. I think that these definitely not the last um, shakeups for uh, release dates that we're going to see. I think that that's going to be we're going to hear be hearing about you know release date shifts even for a lot of these movies that are you know oh these this movie is now releasing on X date it, that night might not actually happen. Um, again, the pandemic is still going on, so um, yes, it does seem to be winding down a little bit, but uh, we're not quite at the uh, the final date where you know people can. Um, you know, or, or people are going to feel very safe going to the going to theaters in mass. So that is a factor still. Um, but I think that a lot of the studios are going to be basically fighting with each other. You know, we even in a normal year, um, studios do this a little bit where there's a lot of like back uh, behind the scenes sort of politicking, fighting going on on uh, trying not to release you know movies up against each other. They'll shift movies around and. You know, a lot of times that will force a studio to be like, "Oh, hey, you know, our our movie is is uh, releasing either in the same uh, time slot or is is too close," and so then they have to make a calculation: "Oh, should we shift this to a different date, or can we actually compete with that with that other studio's movie?" So there's a lot of like questions that go into this, and because there's such a huge backlog, and they they have like you know all the movies that were intended to release this year, plus all the movies that are um, still in development for, you know, next year and beyond. I think this is really a, a huge problem, um, and it's going to be kind of interesting to see how they approach it. But I, I'm I'm assuming that this is definitely not the last we're going to hear stuff like this. This is probably going to be normal for a while. And uh, Michael, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, and I agree. I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of jockeying for time slots because I think a couple of things. One is it sounds like there is still a commitment to releasing in theaters, and maybe there, maybe there's a realization that streaming will only get you so far budget-wise, right? Um, and that they're they're going to need to to start looking at releasing, um, releasing movies, you know, in the theater again. I think part of it is they don't know what the crowd scene is going to be like, so kind of like you know joseph and, and justin were saying you know there's going to be jockeying for time slots because i don't think they're at a point where they can release two big budget movies on the same weekend um and get a big crowd in both or even get a big crowd to, to see one or or over the other i think there's still going to be a limited uh, amount of you know audiences that are going to want to go to the movies and i think if 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 uh, studios decide to release movies, you know, on top of each, uh, you know, on top of another one, there's always a risk that one is going to get the folks that are willing to go to the theater and the other one's going to suffer for that. 
So I do think that there is a lot of um, that. You know, we did talk about, you know, when the pandemic started and this thing kind of started, you know, blowing up that um, a lot of these movies that were scheduled for release last summer um, into this summer even were going to need to be readjusted. And that's, you know, that's something that I think they're going to have to continue to do going forward. Because, again, they want to make sure they're releasing you know, a movie at a, at a time that makes sense. You know, we've seen instances where they release a, a Christmas movie in the summertime and it doesn't do well because the timing is just not what people want to see. So they need to make sure that their quote unquote summer blockbusters are released at a time where people want to see that type of movie and, and are, you know, are in that mode of going to the movies and then also, you know, make schedule room for the movies they have coming up that were planned to be released in 2021 and, and 2022. So, yeah, there's going to be a, a lot of this uh, time shifting. Uh, we know a lot of these movies were already done and ready to be released, so they're going to try to push those out. And, again, I think there is an op- – you know, I'm optimistic that it does look like they're, they're starting to, you know, go back to theaters and, and fulfill their commitments to the, the, you know, the studio owners and the theater owners and all that kind of thing. Uh, but I think it's going to be a, an interesting – landscape at least for 2021 probably and even summer 2022 with how these things uh, come out and, and what kind of dates we see for releases and what's really odd too is that there seems to be no rhyme or reason behind the box office i just got the brand new box office numbers so raya and the last dragon 35 million domestic 54 million international 90 million worldwide and people will say okay well let's not forget that it was available behind a paywall on the um, Disney Plus app where Disney Plus is available. That's also going to be a big factor. It's coming out on home video soon. That's going to be a big factor. So then you have a film that just opened the other day called The Unholy, a horror film. 6.731 million U.S., 233,000 international, almost 7 million. Well, people say, yeah, but it's a horror film. It's got a low budget. And then, of course, things get really crazy. You've got Nobody, which is a really good film. 15 million and change U.S., 13 million international, 28 million worldwide. Okay, well, that's okay. It's got a $20 million budget. Figure it into accountability and all that. Still hasn't been profitable yet. But then you get the big twist. So you have Godzilla vs. Kong, which is available on HBO Max. 288 million and change international, 69.5 US. Now, while that would be a traditional opening weekend, 357 million worldwide in the in a pandemic has got people at Warner Brothers very very happy. They're content with that. Uh, they figure they're going to be making you know, as it stands, it's got legs. This will probably sit in the theaters for a good month or so. So it's not unheard of to think that maybe. As more and more people come back to the theaters, more and more people go out, maybe it does do $500 million worldwide. But just when you think everyone's thrilled to death and everyone's ready to go back to the theaters, Lionsgate released Voyagers last weekend, which was not a bad movie. It's essentially Lord of the Flies in space, $1.35 million. So what I take from this is that people will go back to the theaters in numbers only for a major event movie. And Warner Brothers had thought that would be the case with Tenet. It was not. But something like Godzilla vs. Kong, big event film, big FX-laden film, something the whole family can go to, that seems to be what got people back. So 
interesting. And that, of course, our next test is going to be Mortal Kombat, which I'm not expecting huge box office for simply for the fact that it's R-rated. It's going to potentially alienate the younger kids who can't go on their own, per se. I think it'll do well, but it's also going to be on HBO Max the same time. So I think everyone's still taking a wait and see. We're going to have to wait and see if the uh, May releases, which include things like A Quiet Place 2, uh, go over very well. And then, of course, in July, we have Black Widow. Um, You know, it's interesting. You talked about the backlog of films. We got news this week that Indiana Jones 5 is still scheduled for July 28th of 2022. But to the best of our knowledge, filming hasn't even begun yet. So uh, go figure. The last thing I wanted to discuss today with everybody was E3 2021. We all know that it's going online. Uh, We've been told that it's free to all. There is going to be some pre-show stuff that is made available to approved press. We're not sure what that's going to be, but we're told it may be more in-depth, hands-on, stuff like that. And we have been told that uh, Warner Brothers and Capcom and um, Microsoft, Ubisoft, and Nintendo, as well as 2K, are going to be taking part in the showcase. You know, conspicuously, uh, we noticed that EA and Sony are not there and neither is Activision. They weren't really active at uh, E3 2019, but E3 has said more will be coming. So back down the line again, starting with Michael, what do you make of this? Uh, So I I don't think this comes as a surprise. I think we were expecting that it was going to be a virtual show. We talked about how these things take a long time to prepare for. uh, And, you know, they, they wouldn't have known, back in January, or or realistically, it usually takes about a year to prepare for some of these shows, by fall of last year that uh, an in-person show or event would be possible. So I, I, I think it's not a surprise that it's virtual. You know, the, the funny thing about Sony is we, we tend to forget that Sony really hasn't been involved in E3 for a while. I think the last show they did was 2018, and that was, a weird, yeah, that was a weird show where some people walked room from room to show the siege thing, and most people watched it virtually. Um, so I, I, I think we are seeing Sony bowing out of E3 for good. I, I really don't see them coming back um, in any shape or form because uh, they don't feel they have to. I mean, realistically, now if that could change if Sony starts to lose their uh, market share or they start to, you know, start to lose. You know, some people are already, you know, stating that they're already kind of losing touch with their fan base because they don't feel they they need to. St- need to have that visibility because their stuff's going to sell anyways um so uh, yeah and I, they I, have so, their own event too right and they have their 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 play event their you know those kind of things that they don't um really need to be involved i mean nintendo kind of went this way although they tend to have a pretty big uh floor show um with you know game tournaments and, and stuff they're showing off they still tend to do their own virtual thing for e3 anyways um so the question i think will be um, next year, more so than this year, is what does that mean for the show as a, as a whole? Um, is it going to be more of a fan type show, uh, moving away from the industry and more about you know bringing everybody in to partake like a PAX kind of you know situation? Uh, are they going to you know scale it down to be more industry focused? I, I don't think that's um, a, a thing E3 is going to be able to survive on. So yeah, I, I think they're going to see how this goes. I think a lot of companies are still in that wait-and-see mode about how 
a virtual show does compared to the amount of you know, time and money it takes to set up and go to these events and if they really see an impact by doing this um, you know, virtually. And maybe this will turn out to be one of those hybrid events going forward where they won't do big showcases and reveals like they did in previous years, uh, but they will have a, a, uh, a floor where people can come in and, and play the new games, you know, you know, get some hands-on stuff. The press can actually have some of their in-person meetings and, and maybe it becomes a hybrid event where, again, they don't do these, these big reveals anymore. Uh, they simply kind of do a more hands-on event um, going forward. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I think what 2022 um, shows again. I think 2021. This was kind of an expectation for uh, E3 at least. And Justin, your take, please. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think you know uh, June is like right around the corner, and uh, I think it's just still too soon to hold a very large um, open event with thousands of people. Um, I, I think that probably just would not go over well and most companies just aren't prepared for it anyway even if they could so i think this is uh this makes sense of doing a virtual event uh i think a lot of companies are sort of uh, adjusted to this by now and will probably presume to do more normal um in-person events uh next year um it makes sense for for some of these uh nintendo has been doing virtual events um for years now so they're obviously very accustomed to this um, all, all, all they really would have to do is just do a normal Nintendo Direct that they usually do around E3 time and just, you know, just coordinate it with, with, uh, um, with E3 itself. Um, and then, yeah, that's, that's all they have to do to really kind of participate. Um, like what Michael said, I, if, if Sony, Sony has also sort of transitioned to a Nintendo Direct-like, um, uh, platform where that's how they kind of deliver their news nowadays. And if they're not participating in a virtual event now, then yeah, I think it's safe to say that they're probably not going to participate um, going forward. They're probably going to continue to kind of go off in their own direction and do their own thing. Um, but, you know, I actually expect to, to see some news. You know, we haven't really gotten a lot of big uh, events or news out of a lot of these companies. And I think it's been enough time. It's been well over a year now that a lot of these companies have adjusted to um, to COVID, and they probably have a better idea um, as to what um, what is coming out this year and what's coming out next year. Um, and uh, they've probably made some progress. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if we, we saw some announcements for games that come out towards the end of the year during the holiday season. We still don't quite know a lot from a lot of the big players as to, you know, what's coming out around that time or, or early next year. So I, I'd actually would expect to see some big announcements, um, at least a few. It just, I guess it depends on who's participating, uh, which we don't really know the full list yet. Um, but it's going to be kind of a strange event because every it's basically just going to be a bunch, um, my guess is it's going to be a, a bunch of like kind of Nintendo Direct-like presentations from different companies um and that's probably what we're going to have to to look forward to this year and joseph wrap it up for us please you know i honestly saw us going virtual even before covid like i saw that as a trend that we're heading to conventions are great and everything but more and more they were either becoming more inconvenient for the consumers that were trying to actually go and enjoy or they were 
inconvenient for the people who are trying to be there to do their panels. It's just, I saw virtualization becoming a thing, maybe not 100%, but I think that this whole thing just kind of sped that up. So I don't know if we're going to go back to 100% in-person stuff. I think that hybrid is going to be the way it's going to be in the future. You're going to have the people who want to go, who don't mind the crowds, who want to get there for the merchandise and everything like that. Then you have the people who just want to watch the panels. And I think that the virtual model that they've been building last year and this year and trying to refine this is going to help them build that. And I think that conventions, while they're going to be different in the future, I think they're going to be more profitable in the long run if they continue with that hybrid model. And them going completely online this year, I think, is still the smart decision, even though everything's starting to kind of get back to normal. Um, it's crowds like that are not the best thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's definitely interesting, and it will be uh, one to keep an eye on as we still have uh, two months until the show. And so it will be interesting to see how, you know. It's always a changing situation. People will go off and do their own thing, and if they get a good response, then they don't have motivation. But if they do their own thing and it doesn't get the response, and if things that um, maybe were flying under the radar get a phenomenal response from E3 Online and start trending, that's going to make people uh, think twice. I mean, it's like somebody told me. I said, you look at Comic-Con Online, you look at WonderCon Online. They had well-attended panels that were free to all but i said if you check the social media trending and michael can absolutely attest to this there is something very different about taking a panel and making it available to millions if not billions of people worldwide if you looked at some of the numbers they had good viewership but compared to when you have a panel room with only three thousand five thousand eight thousand people in them not knowing all the details about who's going to be there and all of that, when these people come out and they start dropping the revelations, there is a buzz and an excitement that builds in that room that you cannot replicate online. And those people excitedly go on their social media accounts and post to their websites in a rush to get the news out because they want to do it and from there people read it and they start discussing it on social media and it spreads and you don't always get that kind of response with stuff that is open to everybody it seems that the gaming community is more willing to accept virtual things than the film and television community and i think it's just the there's a big difference between a trailer that anyone can watch versus being there as it's revealed in front of a live audience with the stars in attendance, many of them who have not even seen the footage themselves. And it will be very, very curious to see because there is this debate in the gaming community of, well, are we going to just have virtual events or some component, whereas the media cons, shall we call them, they're all, hey, this is a stopgap. We're going back to live people as soon as we can. This is the way we do our shows. This is the way you want to see them. And it will be a very interesting thing to see what the future holds. And that is going to do it for us today, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. Stay safe. Have a fantastic week ahead. And we'll talk to you next week.